Phil saw the fire actually turn round. He saw the wind change and it just dropped over the side of Siding Springs and down the hillside towards us. The noise and the smoke and the filth. It's a bit hard talking about it. It was horrific. Welcome to Let's Talk, a podcast about mental health in rural and regional Australia. My name is Kaya Handley. I'm a journalist and I've had my own lived experience with mental illness. This episode, we're focusing on what happens to our mental health when we experience emergencies and disasters. Disasters can hit your life at any time. From car accidents to bushfires, they impact you in many different ways. And your mental health is not only tested in the height of the disaster. Phil and Chris Munge live in Barradine in western New South Wales. And in 2013, a bushfire destroyed their home and farm. And all these years later, the hint of smoke in the air or someone like me asking questions can bring the memories flooding back. Quite strange how you you do handle things, but after a while you become a bit practised. But there are things that do bring you undone. Like this morning you brought you undone, starting again. Sorry. It's that pointed question that you get fired at. You got to the stage where you dreaded going to town because everybody, bless them, wanted to know how you were. And why did it happen to you? Because we're a long way out. And people say, well, why did your place burn? And it'd take you an hour to walk down, you know, walk 100 yards down the street. Mm. And you got to the stage where you think, I just cannot go through it all again. It was a hot, windy summer's day in 2013 when Phil and Chris lost their home. Looking in the rearview mirror, they saw for the last time the first home they'd ever owned, the renovations they had just completed, and the farm they had worked for years. It would be the last time they saw their home. No, we were coming back. We were coming back the next morning. morning. Never for one minute did we think it would be gone. Yes. My one fear, as you realise things were getting worse, was something would happen to Christian. And he kept on sending text messages back saying, it's all right, Mum, you've still got a house. Okay, Mum, you've still got a house. Just going up to John's rings to check on him. We had big old stables just beside the house, wooden stables. There were embers flying through the air, apparently, sort of the size of footballs, a couple of kilometres in front of the fire. And embers landed in the stables. They just exploded, and the radiant heat set the house on fire. We did all the things you're supposed to do to protect the house, but the... With the embers and the radiant heat, it was just so hot they couldn't do anything. Christians turned up at 2 o'clock that morning and said, Mum, I'm sorry, it's all gone, which was hard for him. Dear, you think you get used to it. You start talking about it again and you're not. Chris Munge talks about what she was doing as they prepared for the fire and it's clear she's being powered by adrenaline and her nurse's brain getting done exactly what was needed while being very practical. I'd put together a change, oh, I'd emptied the clothes basket into my suitcase, so we had a change of undies. And we'd just finished painting the inside of the house. Our pictures hadn't gone back up on the wall, so I grabbed an armload of them and chucked the treasures of my dressing table and a couple of Phil's clocks and the, mm. wrapped them up in my undies and shoved them in the bag. <laughs> made the bed before I left because I thought I can't let anyone see my bed unmade. <laughs> Picked up the library books and we just left. Dr Rob Gordon is a clinical psychologist who has spent decades working with people 
and communities affected by emergencies and disasters. He says we have two modes that our bodies and mind can go into when we're faced with a disaster. One is survival mode, which is adrenaline, which is all about doing what you have to do. But that's really stimulated by being confronted with an immediate problem that you must deal with. The flood or the fire is coming or I've got to build this fence or whatever. But the other mode is when you're confronted with a huge problem but there's absolutely nothing you can do with it right now, like you've got a huge loan or you've got a huge uh, agricultural task to perform but you can't actually do anything other than just plot away at it over the next few years. This does create a different sort of biology in our body. It puts us into what I call endurance mode. I think the main chemical there is cortisol or a whole collection of chemicals related to cortisol. And cortisol is about numbing zombie mode, whereas adrenaline is about hyperactive rescue saving the world mode. And people will often make a transition from adrenaline mode when most of the emergency stuff is done into cortisol mode when they start to settle and think, oh my God, look at all I've got to do over the next few years. How am I going to do this? And healthy people will just buckle down and say, oh, well, I'll just have to do it. And that's when they start to shut down. Now, both of these responses are damaging because they put us into overdrive and they shut down our feedback system. And I think one of the mistakes that counsellors and well-meaning friends often make is to ask people in high stress mode how they're feeling. Actually, most of the time they're not having any feelings. They're too preoccupied with the work. Di Gill works with the Rural Adversity Mental Health Program. She's often one of the frontline mental health team that go into a community after a disaster. She says as well as those two modes that can make a person numb to their feelings, we need to look at who might be missing from situations they'd usually be in. So usually about four to six weeks post the disaster, depending on the disaster, we need to start going, where are people that should be here and who hasn't been contacted and start looking out for those signs that they're not coping very well and start asking, do they need some extra help with their mental health? Di says community is such an important part of an individual's recovery after a disaster. Get those messages saying, we care, we support you, sorry we can't be there, but our love goes out to you, is absolutely essential. And then when it's backed up with that physical, we're here to help fix fences, or what do you need, what is short on, what can we get over to you, is absolutely brilliant for morale with people. One I remember in particular, a farm family could only go so far, so another farmer brought his tractor in, loaded all their groceries on that and took it across the water for them. They're so out there to support each other. And Phil and Chris Munge experienced this sense of community firsthand. From people letting them stay with them to donations of food, clothes, homewares, vouchers and everything they could ever need. They said the support and love they were shown was overwhelming. We were given so much you start to feel guilty. The the generosity of people is unbelievable. Philip would be somewhere or you'd be at a meeting and some stranger would tap him on the shoulder and say, here, my sister in Sydney asked me to give you this. And there'd be $50 to go towards your garden or something. It was incredible. It can be so hard to know what to say to someone you know when they're going through a disaster. 
But Dr Rob Gordon says it's important and by listening and suggesting people look after their mental health, it can make the recovery process easier. Listen to where the person's focus is and most of the time the focus is on the problems outside themselves. So you could say, how's it all going with whatever. Try and remember things they've said. Did you get that fence up you were telling me about? Show them that you're thinking about them. Are you having any problems with whatever? You start with the practical issues and then you can say, so what are you doing about it? That must be hard. Have you been able to achieve things? then you could start with physically, are you, are you able to get rest? Um, and often people will carry a whole range of minor physical ailments without taking any notice of them. But they, like, they don't sleep so well, they're not eating well or they're eating the wrong things or smoking more or not taking exercise. And bring these to people's attention and say, look, it's important. But mm-hmm. say, I know you've got a lot of work to do, but I think if you put a bit more time into come home a bit earlier and prepare a nice meal and and take the evening off. I bet you'll do more tomorrow. I can remember once uh, talking to a bushfire-affected community after Black Saturday and talking about this and talking about how people in this stress mode become more and more busy but less and less effective. And I went back to that community about a year later and a man told me that he ran the local caravan park and he said... After you uh, came, I actually took my family away for a holiday. And when I came back, I achieved more in the next three weeks than in the previous three months. Breaking this stress cycle is so important and we need our own difficulties brought to our attention. And I think if friends and and, uh, counsellors and everyone else reflects back to the person, the state they're in, many people can say, oh, yeah, I need to change that. It's it's that sort of awakening to self-awareness. Daigill also says it's important to acknowledge that the strong, powerful feelings you have during this time are completely normal and it's okay to feel completely overwhelmed and like you need some help. It might feel uncomfortable, it might feel unusual, it might be scary, but if they're normal for what you're going through, give yourself time to settle, give yourself time to cope and if after a while you're not coming back to how you felt before, you know, and I'm talking four to six weeks, then you need to go and speak to your GP and say, look, prior to this incident, prior to this disaster, I was, had a good, you know, I was doing well, but gee, I can't get my sleep, or I'm stopped eating, I'm cranky all the time, all those signs that, you know, are not you or not your friend if you're trying to help them, and go to the GP and seek help, whether it be with medication or medication and psychological interventions, cognitive behaviour therapy, whatever, but seek help. The sooner you seek help, when you notice things are not returning, the easier it's going to be to recover. Four years on from losing their home in a bushfire, Phil and Chris Munge are back living on the property in a new house. Around them are signs of the house they lost and the help they received from their amazing children, friends and entire community. But they still get emotional and the sight and smell of smoke in the air can make them nervous. Chris says it was finding her purpose in recovery that helped keep her strong. Phil had the farm and the cattle, so Chris took control of the rebuild of the house. But she says the most important thing that she and Phil did to cope through it all was to not become bitter. And we made a conscious decision that we weren't going to be bitter that we weren't going to be bitter and we weren't going to get into the blame game. 
because bitterness is it's so corrosive. Mm. And we just thought we didn't want to go down that track. So we thought, right, you live in Australia, these things happen, you just get on with it and put it behind you. Yeah. And, and honestly, um, the generosity we've been shown and the, the, the love that we've been shown is unbelievable. You've been listening to Let's Talk, a podcast about mental health in rural and regional Australia. If you or someone you know needs help, there are so many places you can turn. If you need someone to talk to, you can call the New South Wales Mental Health Line on 1800 011 511 or Lifeline on 13 11 14. You can also access a heap of information on the Centre for Rural and Remote Mental Health's website. That's www.crrmh.com.au.